CIUTFM would like to thank everybody who made a contribution during our fall fundraising campaign. Your kind financial support keeps this community radio station alive on the FM dial and on the World Wide Web. If you haven't donated yet, we still need your help to reach our goal of $100,000. Donate now at www.ciut.fm and show your appreciation for unique, independent programming that cannot be heard anywhere else. CIUT 89.5 FM, Toronto. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. And welcome to the Radical Reverend Show here on Fundraising Week for CIUT. Uh, you just heard Democracy Now! and uh, there's probably few, if any, uh, as good political shows about what's happening in the world in the United States. And we love that we follow that on the Radical Reverend Show, because here we're going to talk about Canada and what's happening here, but from the same spirit of resistance, I like to say. Uh, and this is your chance to get involved. Please, please donate. And it's very, very easy. Uh, it's not so easy when you're posting on Facebook because Meta won't let us use the URL because this is considered a news source. We are, you know, we're happy about that. Um, but uh, just go to the URL. It's uh, www.ciut.fm and hit that donate button. Um, we're looking for a number of new members. That's the main thing here. So if you're not a member, $25 and up, please um, just go there and donate. Uh, it is uh, a uh, charitable donations, so there's that. Um, but more to the point, you're supporting alternative radio, community-funded radio. We don't have big business ads, we don't have playlists, and we don't uh, we're not told what to say, and you'll hear that very clearly on the next hour, which is our left lefter leftist show. And today we have two Brits. I'm kind of this <laughs> this uh, Canadian between two Brits, you know, the Oreo here. And, and we've got Alex Grant, uh, regular on the show. Alex, uh, who's a Marxist journalist. And we've got Nikki Ward, first time on the show. And welcome, Nikki. Uh, Nikki is the president of Canada's largest co-op and a community advocate. So welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you very and much. let's get going with... Um, with something that uh, is sadly also very Canadian, and that's housing inequality, housing shortage, impossibility of being able to afford to live in the city of Toronto, and the fact that, Alex, as you pointed out, uh, food bank usage has never been as high. So, Alex, why? What's happening out there? Well, the cost of living and the inflation crisis uh, is hitting housing, especially. The, the housing costs are going through the roof. Uh, Literally. And uh, I, yeah, I saw that the sort of average uh, one bedroom is it's over like two and a half thousand dollars. People are pushed right to the edge. And recently the the food banks came up with a study saying that uh, what is it? The food bank use has doubled in Toronto, doubled in Toronto in the last year. So that one in 10 Torontonians are being forced to use the food banks. Utterly scandalous. And, and large numbers, more and more people who are accessing food banks have got jobs. Mm-hmm. This shows the crisis of the systems that you know, we've got housing costs going up and you've got wages being kept down by uh, profiteering corporations. So you know, it's just another part of the crisis of the system. Nikki, nobody's better on housing than you. Well, thank what you about for the that. housing well, aspect. Uh, thank you for that. Well, the uh, the two things, for controversy's sake, I'm afraid I'm going to have to agree with Alex here. So yeah. uh, this is uh, 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 the the food inflation, housing inflation, uh, affect those who are at the margins of, of the world more than anybody else. So if you are a millionaire, then you know a 10% increase in the cost of a Ferrari is not going to affect you. However, if you're living at the poverty line, uh, a 200% increase in the price of a can of peas, something as simple as that, is going to directly affect you. I think um, the food uh, uh, use of um, 
uh, food banks is a strong indicator of the level of real poverty, not uh, calculated uh, poverty, real poverty in Canada right now. And my sense is, as uh, working in the co-op system, where we have fully 50% of our members are at rent geared to income, uh, this has deep, deep, deep impact. Is there hope? Uh, We've got a new mayor, Olivia Chow. She's talked about having to, uh, you know, 25,000 new units of of affordable rental, things like that. Um, and she's going to be making an announcement today, apparently, as mm-hmm. well, about more. Any hope, Nikki, there? Oh, there's definitely hope. Uh, the food insecurity is an ongoing issue that is really outside of the scope of what the mayor can really tackle. But there's no doubt that a motivated mayor, a motivated city of Toronto, a motivated provincial government, and uh, I'm speaking from my own background here, uh, working in tandem with uh, the, uh, the co-op movement is an excellent way to rapidly introduce legitimate, uh, deeply affordable permanent housing. Uh, and, and Alex, before I go back to you, it, what's interesting here, and you're listening to the Radical Reverend show, is that food banks, which seem so institutionalized now, didn't actually always exist. They came into being in the 80s in this city and this uh, province. I remember the very first one. Uh, and people think, that this has been around forever. I remember my dad talking about the 30s, the dirty 30s, and mm-hmm. food banks and soup kitchens, as they called them back then, mm-hmm. and and thinking, what what's that? And, a, and actually, a Swedish group came when I was in public office, uh, and one of the women asked me, um, which was she thought it was a problem with translation, she said, why do people keep food in banks here? Um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, because they didn't have them over there until, I mean, maybe they do now, I don't know. Um, this was you know, 10 years back. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's possible to have a world without food banks. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not old enough to remember a, a capitalism without food banks. And yeah, you know, it's, it's utterly disgusting what's going on. And yes, uh, I looked at the uh, Olivia Chow's uh, new plan. So she's supposedly uh, building 65,000 uh, rental units by 2030. And I, I think this is a mixed blessing if you like in that it's not enough it's not even close to being enough mm-hmm. 60 i think i think there needs 10 times that many to actually solve the crisis but i think the positive aspect and i think uh, jack layton famously wrote a book about this mm-hmm. uh, that actually he got in tr- jack layton got in trouble in his uh, first election as ndp leader where he accused paul martin of being responsible for homeless deaths and, and there was a huge right-wing backlash at Leighton saying that. But Leighton was involved in the housing issue and the fact that the Liberals got, took the money out of housing in the 1990s led to what is the housing crisis now. And so I think it's good that Toronto is starting to get back into public housing. It's not enough. And there needs to be mass pressure on politicians like Chow and, and, and all of the governments to say we need a massive public housing building program. Co-ops, yes, social housing, public housing and rent geared to income. Mm-hmm. So that it, that's what genuine affordability is, rent geared to income, not 20% off market, which is not affordable at all. Oh, that's very true. That This definition of what constitutes affordable is uh, disingenuous in the extreme. Uh, 20%, the uh, affordable is based on how much money you make mm-hmm. uh, and or, or have. And since so many people in Toronto Centre, where we are right now, live below the poverty line, um, affordable mm-hmm. means to be deeply affordable and, and based on how much you can legitimately afford, not some artificial um, statistic that's put together by a, you know, a, a bureaucrat in, in, uh, in, in Ottawa. But to go, circle back to your other point there, the other challenge we have is that building of uh, any kind of infrastructure is capital intensive. And um, so uh, I, I appreciate you coming from a Marxist background there, but we are going to need a, a strategy of some kind that, that harnesses capital because it takes capital to build buildings. Now, whether it is done through the federal government or through the private sector, I think you and I are kind of in agreement where the best place to get that capital is. 
And uh, just to, to add uh, another aspect of this, of course, is rent control. Um, folks, today is fundraising day, uh, and it is fundraising week. So we are really appealing to you. Uh, shows like this, where you're going to hear alternate uh, viewpoints, uh, left, left, or leftist panel, uh, and others. Um, this isn't mainstream media, folks. Uh, if uh, And I've never felt so <laughs> disenchanted with mainstream media as I have in the last little while. And you're probably feeling the same if you're like any of the folk that I hang out with. Um, if you're on the left uh, end of the spectrum, on the progressive end of the spectrum, you're probably, you know, watching the news and thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, that's not my world. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever world you're describing doesn't, isn't kind of sitting with me um, in a way that I, I can't remember, you know, I can remember a few times that, that that was the case. So here's where you get real news. You just heard Democracy Now! before the show. Here you've got the Radical Reverend, the Canadian version of that, um, although not nearly as well-funded, and that's what we're asking you to do. Um, so any amount is good. Um, it's www.ciut.fm. Just go to the website. That's the easiest way, and hit donate. Now, if you really want to phone in, um, our wonderful tech Alice will probably pick up the phone at 416-946-7800. Um, uh, you can, uh, she'll tell you the same thing, though. Go to the website, um, www.ciut.fm, hit donate, mention the Radical Reverend Show. Everyone on the station are volunteers, except for a handful of people that pretty much live here to keep the station going. So the rest of us are all doing this with, you know, no pay at all because we value alternative media. So please keep us on air. That's the call. And I think I've been on air now for about 25 years. Uh, so anyway, 25 years of showing uh, up and 25 years of talking about issues that are not being talked about on mainstream media. So let's move from housing and food insecurity. Um, here's something that really ticked me off um, recently was, and it's all over social media if you tend to hang out there, and that is Polyev. Uh, it's speaking in Richmond Hill, Polyev being the conservative uh, waiting in the wings um, to win, uh, you know, head of the Conservative Party federally talked about Trudeau's quotes, unquote, gender ideology, radical gender ideology. And when he said that, uh, people cheered, including the deputy mayor of Richmond Hill, uh, who has since apologized, by the way, for cheering at that. And uh, and yet, Polyev himself has not retracted that, has not apologized for that. So just know this, if you happen to tune in and you're in part of the 2SLGBTQ plus community, do not vote conservative. Can I say that? Yes, I just said that. Um, because if you're, if you're voting conservative federally, you are voting for someone who thinks you are part of the gender, the radical gender ideology, quotes unquote, woke community. Um, Nikki, I'm going to throw this to you first. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think when you hear, and again, we just saw some polling coming out saying that the conservatives federally will win a huge majority. We're mm -hmm. looking at a country that's mainly painted blue right now. Very few provinces aren't. Um, Okay, well, let's let's see if we can unpack this a little bit. Firstly, let me first uh, out myself on the radio as a as a trans advocate for since uh, long before it was fashionable to be uh, trans. And so let's unbundle this. Firstly, Polyev's uh, uh, um, popularity is based on polls that the Conservative Party has sponsored. And so I've got to tell you, trust but verify, I'm not sure I 100% I believe uh, a poll that's been sponsored by the Conservative Party that says the Conservative Party is great. I also think uh, Polyavri is doing some dog whistle politics where he's uh, hinting at some of these alt-right idea ideas to try and garner support, paint himself as a tough guy, um, and sending these ideas out as, a, as trials. And, uh, and to our credit as a country, we haven't picked up on this and said that he, what he's saying is reasonable, accurate, or indeed something that aligns with average Canadian values. So, um, And I, the, the final thing I point out is that when you say that Trudeau is, uh, this was a shot at Trudeau, not at me. 
<laughs> and so Polyere is trying to take shots at Trudeau for holes in his policy, which is legit for a leader of the opposition. Um, I don't think he's succeeded to make his to to make a, a point here that has any traction, and that I think, on the whole, is good news for Canadians. I I wish I agreed. Sadly, I'm on social media and read the comments, and a lot of them agree. Um, uh, and including, and, and this is very deeply concerning, this is the divide and conquer strategy that used by many politicians throughout history, uh, but that the LBGs against the Qs and the Ts. So there are a number of groups now online that... I'm sorry, I've lost on the acronyms there. Could okay, you help so me the, out? Yeah, I, yeah I, no, the I, lesbians, bisexuals and gays against trans and queer folk and non-binary folk. These are groups that actually exist um, now, who's funding them? Who knows? I mean, we can ascertain it. But, but I think absolutely right. Um, they keep um, dog whistle politics to the alt right, uh, but they're listening, and it's picking up traction. And the polling overall, and I just look at. Um, I want to give them a shout out. Three eight eight Canada, where you get all of the polls, mm-hmm. not just one poll. Um, still shows conservatives in a huge majority situation. Uh, Alex, uh, and this is a human right. This is in this is legislated human rights. Absolutely, yeah. and of course you've got conservative politicians like Polyev, and you've got the New Brunswick government and the Saskatchewan government are using uh, trans people as cannon fodder to yes fire at Trudeau mm-hmm. so their aim is crass politics mm-hmm. but it is oppressed communities that co- get caught in the crossfire and it is trans kids that end up uh, getting beaten up or killed right so we need to be very clear on this actually I, I just googled the issue and the mainstream media didn't pick up on it at all well I like, think this that, is an I think utter that's scandal, what right? I'm saying here yeah it's, a, it's an utter scandal right that the media is not picking up on these secret closed-door meetings, right? So this was a meeting to funders. It wasn't a public meeting. Uh, Polyev probably feels like he's at high in the polls, so he doesn't necessarily... It, it's more the desperate right-wing politicians that are going down this road, but he's, he's using it to get more money out of his backers. But it was made public, and, uh, but the mainstream media hasn't picked it up, so they're, they're complicit too. Yeah, and Nikki, you wanted to weigh in a bit more. Well, look, I'm not sure I completely agree with this, and that's just as well because we need a little controversy here. But as a trans person, I feel well qualified, in fact, uniquely qualified at this table to talk about trans rights, meaning at the forefront of it for well over 25 years. And there is a danger of amplifying stupidity and bigotry here. I don't agree that social media is the be-all and end-all. The conservatives have just spent $3 million on an advertising campaign to support their particular causes. It is therefore reasonable, because of that spending, that they're up in the polls. Wait till that $3 million wears off, and then we'll see where we're at. Also, until and unless we start running elections through Facebook or Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called these days, (laughs) until we start running elections in, uh, in a democracy through Facebook, it's what happens at election time that counts. And Canadians have, have agreed already overwhelmingly that trans rights must be enshrined in the Charter for Rights and Freedoms. Uh, having been part of that uh, across party lines and including some small C conservatives because you don't get that kind of uh, legislation passed without cross-party support. So I do not, as a matter of course, amplify bigotry. That's just something I, I just don't do. And I, I, I would recommend caution on that when we're talking about the politics of extremism here. I know it makes for good copy in the newspaper. I know it makes people smash like buttons, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't affect uh, what the things that we actually need to do, which is get people to vote on the right side of history. Well, I hope you are right. Um, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show and, and our guest today, Two Brits, which is new and fun. Um, we've got Alex Grant, a Marxist journalist. Uh, we've got Nikki Ward, uh, president of Canada's largest co-op and a community advocate speaking on the left, left or leftist panel. And again, um, we need your dollars. Doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, cost of a few coffees uh, and just call in uh, and that's fine. Uh, 946-7800-416 or toll free at 1-888-204-8976 if you're out of the calling area. But mainly and mostly, 
It's so easy, folks. Just do it right online by going to ciut.fm, triple W, that is, and hitting the donate. And by the way, you get an immediate tax receipt. So you can print that out, put it in your little bundle, and uh, save like $5 in taxes, whatever you do. Anyway, um, do that, and please do it, because it's your donations that keep us all on air. And all of us are doing this for nothing, because we believe in what we're doing. And you're not going to hear this kind of discussion on mainstream media. You're just not. Um, Let's move on. Some good news out of Ottawa, anti-scab legislation, finally. Um, Alex, I'm going to turn to you first on this. Uh, um, And, of course, the NDP is taking credit for this. Um, And I suppose they've been fighting for it for a while. Um, Are the Liberals just being desperate, or what's happening there? Yeah, the Liberals are being desperate. And Liberals have voted against anti-scab legislation for decades and decades and decades. And, uh, And so this is a partial victory, although... I would put up a note of caution. There is an 18-month waiting time until it comes into effect uh, so that businesses can adjust. And it's like, how are they adjusting exactly? So did they just have all these scabs waiting up in the pipeline and and then they just need to transition their scabs away? No, no, no. Uh, Apply it now. Absolutely apply it now. And and, and this, this is... Uh, an important partial victory for the Labour movement has been pushing for this. Uh, and, and it creates pressure. Only two provinces have anti-scab legislation. That's uh, BC and Quebec. Uh, Ontario briefly had it. Mike Harris got rig- rid of it. And, uh, and, and we need to push for this. But not just for this. Uh, we need to push for the right to respect picket lines that everybody has the right to respect a picket line without facing any repercussions. Uh, That's uh, an absolute vital statement. Picket lines mean do not cross. But, uh, yeah, we need to celebrate a partial victory. Uh, And just on that, I mean, we've seen some phenomenal victories in the the, uh, auto market in the States. I mean, 25% raises and things Mm -hmm. for... I mean, this this has been unprecedented. Um, but yes, yeah, so just so we're we're aware out there in listener land, scabs are replacement workers, um, old term uh, from the labor movement since the labor movement began, and um, they're the ones that companies will bus in, uh, break up, uh, break through uh, picket lines to usually work for much less than the workers are getting, and are desperate in and of their <laughs> for their own reasons. Um, but it's a way of breaking strikes, obviously. So. So if they're allowed, um, then um, then the strike loses its its value. Um, I, I would also say, you know, the use of the notwithstanding clauses by governments um, mm-hmm. and the voting of of workers back to work uh, that governments have been engaged in for a while is problematic too. Um, so more to be done. Uh, the other thing I, I would just add to what Alex uh, you said is the eighteen month wait. I think there's going to be an election before that happens. I mean, this is this is very precarious legislation if there's an 18-month wait before it kicks in because all it will take is is, you know, an election going conservative and that's not going to happen. Nikki, do you have anything to add to this? Uh, well, as part of uh, the uh, cooperative housing movement, we do have strong relationships with uh, unions. We employ both uh, union and non-union labor. In fact, we just finished uh, very collegial uh, negotiations with uh, uh, with our, our staff. Um, replacement workers can be problematic. It's not always about uh, union busting. Sometimes there are safety issues involved there. I'm not apologizing here. I'm not excusing here. The uh, um, the, the str- unions have historically been uh, very supportive of, of human rights in general and come from a union background myself. So, But you're very right to be uh, somewhat skeptical about this. The bill number is, I think, C58, which is a fairly low number. Generally, the numbers don't go past um, you know high 70s before they uh, go into law. And it may well be that this is a populist uh, um, token of, of this government. I'm not convinced that the Conservatives will come in. I think with the good work of that you're doing and others are doing, that we have a, a strong centrist and centre-left movement here. But it uh, doesn't mean we shouldn't be uh, vigilant. 
Yes, I, I, I really want your positive energy, Nikki, uh, going out into the world. You're listening to The Radical Reverend Show here. We've got Nikki Ward and we've got Alex Grant um, talking about all things political. And uh, we need to hear from you, actually. And the way we hear from you best is just go to the website, www.ciut.fm, and donate. Please donate. Um, it's so important to keep this radio station on air. Some 35 years we've been on air. I've been here for about 25 of them, I think. Um, I started as a feminist collective, uh, part of that, and then branched off into the Radical Reverend Show. Um, There was a couple of years hiatus when I was elected, and when I came back, um, uh, I did a show called Three Women for a while, which were three political women all talking about issues. Um, And then then once I left politics... um, back to being the good old radical reverend again. So we need you to support uh, volunteers here. I mean, spoken word is so important. It's uh, it's the backbone of the station. It sets us apart from all the others, but so does our, our music programming. You'll hear music without the irritation of too many ads. So um, please, um, please donate. This is your opportunity, one opportunity. We only do it twice a year. So we really, really need your money. And it doesn't matter how much. Um, uh, and again, think about this as, as, as what you value in your life. That's where you put your... Um, your money, um, your money shows you what you are valuing most. So please um, share some of it with us. Um, on the on the uh, on the federal side, uh, let's talk uh, carbon tax. Um, uh, Nikki, you raised this, and uh, this is this has been a very strange issue. Um, uh, anyway, you raised this. Well, uh, no, a lot of people have raised it. I won't take credit for that. Um, the uh, carbon tax is, uh, hmm. you know, when all you've got is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And all the federal government has is tax. And the problem with a carbon tax is, firstly, it's specific to carbon. And as we, we understand more and more about uh, the impact on our environment, we see that it's not just carbon that's a problem, but things like methane and in volatile chemicals and, and so on. And so simply hitting, you can actually have a situation where you do more harm than good. You reduce the level of carbon, you increase the amount of methane, you're replacing one problem with an even worse problem. Second challenge behind this is that some people see uh, carbon tax as a license to pollute. You can pollute so long as you pay money. And somehow, theoretically, uh, the free market, I look at my Marxist friends to the side here, the free market, the the invisible hand of the market is supposed to solve this problem. Instead, what happens is there's chicanery that happens on the accounting side of things, uh, and it doesn't actually solve its intended problem. So, um, yeah, a a big challenge. Now we're seeing people beginning to pull back from carbon tax because, A, it's politically expedient, and, B, it may not actually be saving the planet either. Uh, certainly, greenwashing has been something that's pretty clearly um, part of the liberal brand these days, I think, uh, because we're one of the worst in terms of uh, international countries um, in living up to our promises. Um, and we're still, by the way, hugely funding big oil and gas in this country with our tax dollars. Not that they need it, but we're giving it to them anyway. Um to me, at first, when I heard uh, Trudeau's, I, I thought this was ca- the kind of policy that's written on the back of a napkin. It didn't seem very well thought out. Uh, it immediately was attacked uh, with some good reason for being mainly and mostly in liberal ridings. Uh, um, but the idea that, uh, the and th- this, I think, really feeds the right wing, the idea that, um, that you know, Somebody in northern Ontario who has to drive their car, has to heat their home with oil, um, who's barely making a go of it, um, is that the the fight for a greener planet has to be done on their backs is is um, hugely problematic. Um, that it's the, it's an individual problem solved by, as Nikki pointed out, probably the people at the lower echelons of the income spectrum. Alex, any thoughts about this? Well, the Liberals. I've just shown how they're completely unreliable. 
and uh, will bend for electoral expediency at a moment's notice. And, and they s explicitly stabbed the environmental movement in the back. They're actually, during the last election, there was a number of liberal environmentalists who were mobilized to attack the NDP and because the liberal plan was supposedly more realistic than the NDP environmental plan. Well, this is what the liberals have done. They've, they've ditched their plan, which was never going to work anyway. But uh, you know, so you've got a choice between the conservatives who deny climate change and then the liberals who uh, recognize it but do nothing. And and there and there is no market mechanisms to solve the environmental crisis. So I, I'm not in favour of carbon taxes on the back of working class people. I'm in favour of actually taking over the polluters, the top 100 corporations that are responsible for 71% of all emissions. And and but you cannot trust liberals. This is another example. You cannot trust liberals. And now their plan is in tatters. So if they're going to exempt the carbon tax from home heating, that affects mostly the Maritimes for expediency of uh, liberal MPs in the Maritimes. Why not other forms of heating in and and, and other issues in in other parts of the country? Well, respectfully, uh, I did run on uh, fairly recently on an environmental platform, and this isn't a partisan thing. I don't think the I don't think there's a good environmental plan out there. That's not unique to the Liberals, nor the NDP, nor indeed the Conservatives, who are just hopeless at this. The challenge we face here is that the way uh, we account for pollution and the energy offsets here is not sophisticated enough. This is a very, very sophisticated problem. So, for example, if you're on the far north, it may actually be a net more environmental solution to use, let's say, propane or something else, rather than to transport, let's say, uh, exotic batteries that don't work well in the Arctic Circle. And so you have to have an environmental plan, whatever that plan might be, that is nimble, that's nuanced, and actually does full cost accounting to figure out the true environmental cost that is local to that specific environment. So I don't think we've seen a good plan. I think what we do agree on is the carbon taxes are just a blunt instrument that doesn't work. Let's move from that into we can't talk about Canadian politics without talking about health care, um, as particularly in Ontario right now. Um, uh, in Ontario, uh, we're seeing, uh, in fact, it just hit me. <laughs> um, uh, I just I literally this morning walked into a shopper's drug mart and said, my doctor thinks I should have this NRS, NSV. Anyway, it's, it's, an, it's a vaccine. It's against viral, um, whatever's going around virally. He, uh, you know, recommended it. Um, they said, well, you need, uh, you know, you, you need um, him to you know, write a note and say you need it. Uh, fine, we can do that. And oh, by the way, it's two hundred and eighty dollars at plus twenty dollars dispensing fee for this vaccine at Shoppers. Um, so all of a sudden, there's a vaccine that's presumably most people need of a at a certain age. Uh, that's three hundred dollars to get at your pharmacy now. <laughs> Um, and that's just minor. That's just a minor little note that was kind of rude sticker shock at the at the pharmacy. But um, but we're also looking at a, a healthcare system now in Ontario where Ford is, is paying more for private care um, than for public care. And in fact, you've got I think the most number of lobbyists that had to sign in for at Queen's Park were on, on the healthcare front. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly, you know, open market for anybody selling healthcare in any way, shape or form. Um, and the privatization is on absolutely running amok now, starting with, you know, nurses from private agencies that cost, of course, much more than publicly paid nurses and, um, uh, and SAP our, our supply and on. Um, Alex. Healthcare in this province. Yeah, so the CBC recently did a freedom of information request and to find out how much the Ford government was pay paying private clinics for uh, medical services. And it turned out it was more than double the public hospitals. More than double. Cataract surgery, they get paid something like $500 to a public hospital, 1600 for a private. Um, hip replacement, it's something like, I think it was like 1600 for public and then 5000 for private. This directly goes against the private right-wing privatization mantra. 
that it's supposed to be cost savings. No, this is lining the bank balances of conservative backers in so it, it whether it's in the private healthcare industry whether it's in you know land speculators and property developers uh, this the ford regime is set up to funnel public money to private millionaire and billionaire interests and so the healthcare is just the other one privatization's a scam especially in healthcare public is cheaper and this is funneling resources away from the public system to make sure there's not enough doctors nurses and other uh, support in the public system nikki well there's a lot to unpack there um i'll just give you a context that before i was using my powers for good not evil i was a vice president of an insurance company in the private sector and we uh, one of the things we used to do was manage healthcare costs for people who were traveling in the united states or indeed in the in in canada and i will tell you that regardless of what province you're in uh the private sector tends to be a little bit better about balancing the books however I will acknowledge one thing that is absolutely and profoundly true about the universal health care we have here in Canada. It is dramatically cheaper than the privatized system that we have, to the profit-based system to the south of us. Uh, far from perfect. Uh, the, the, the trade-off is in terms of wait times, right, which we all experience as somebody who cannot afford private health insurance or private, uh, uh, private services. Uh, I have to wait longer than the average bear. And that does seem to be fair, uh, uh, an unfair advantage for those people who have money so that they can live longer than I do. That doesn't seem to be consistent with our universal health care. Um, the, the truth is, however, that um, calculating the full cost of of uh, providing a medical service is enormously uh, complex and uh, requires co- this is called coordination of benefits here. Um, our, our public health care system, which is excellent, uh, is heavily subsidized with good reason because by subsidizing our healthcare system in Canada, um, we subsidize our nurses who then in turn add value by buying shoes and doing so forth. So that money recycles here in, in, in Canada. I don't feel, so long as we have a strong, and I mean super strong, uh, public health care base for us, I'm less concerned about the onesies and twosies who use, who go to private health care clinics. Even if we don't do this in, um, uh, uh, in Canada, it's very, very easy to go across what amounts to a transparent border to the United States and get health care services there, or if you're rich enough to fly to Europe or wherever and get those services. Um, I mean, the backbone of, of I think, I, I remember a poll done some time ago uh, about who is your favorite Canadian, your most famous Canadian, um, who do you think should be eulogized? And the answer was Tommy Douglas mm. um, for bringing in public health care in, in Saskatchewan and then eventually um, liberals federally uh, adopted it across the country. It, it's been since then. Um, his hope was that it be constantly expanding to include dental care, pharmacare, everything else. Um, what in fact seems to be happening is the reverse right now. Um, and, uh, and certainly if you look south of the border, the most expensive healthcare system in the world, which not everyone gets to uh, access. In fact, people die constantly in the United States because they can't access any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you don't have to watch, you know, Sicko or any of the movies that have been made about this to, you know, um, to, to know why um, that is the case. Um, uh, and, and before, I'm just going to go to Alex on this topic before we let it go, because it's so critical. And, uh, and again, if somebody like me can afford $300 for a vaccine, I know uh, damn well that I'm one of the lucky privileged ones and that a lot of people cannot afford that and still eat and pay their rent in the city. Um, to you out there in listener land, uh, we are asking, speaking about money, that you support shows like this that support you. Um, we're not being paid for by sponsors. We're not being paid for by big business. We are being paid for, uh, if we're paid at all, um, and most of us are volunteers, by you. So that keeps the lights on. It keeps us doing what we are doing. It keeps us bringing real news and real debate, um, really in-depth look 
at uh, some of the issues that face you, and it's easy to do. All you have to do is go www.ciut.fm. That's our station, and hit donate. It's on the very first page. I did it myself today. Um, it's really, really easy to do, and any amount is absolutely welcomed. Please consider giving enough so that you become a member of the station, because that way you get all the news and views um, directly into your inbox. And um, by the way, we have uh, lots of volunteers who are learning everything they need to learn about radio here, like our techs on the other side of the glass. Um, all this is paid for when you donate. You donate to the education of a whole new uh, generation of folk who um, think that radio is important, and it is here on the Radical Reverend Show. Alex, healthcare. Yeah, I just want to underline this is hard facts showing that private healthcare or privatization in general is not more efficient, it is less efficient. It is not cheaper, it is more expensive. Any so-called efficiencies, they're not genuine efficiencies. What they are from is pushing down the wages and conditions of healthcare workers, which we just talk about food banks. Why, why do you think pe- working people are going to food banks? Because their wages and conditions are being pushed down. And then that doesn't go to the public purse. That goes to private shareholders, to profiteers, funders of conservative governments. So this is hard facts, people. Remember, privatization, it's a scam. Oppose it everywhere. Uh, I mean, very simply, um, if you have a profit motive, the profit has to be built in there somewhere. Um, so, you know, there's that. Uh, and, and talking about, I, you know, the, about privatization versus public, I'm thinking of transit, too, in the city. Anybody who tries to move around the city at this point um, in Toronto knows that transit needs some help. Um, and, um, and yet we've got, you know, a private-public partnership with Metrolinx where it's not working. <laughs> it's just not working. Well, there's, there's, you said a mouthful there. Um, yeah, this is uh, – t- Toronto is uh, uh, one of the few major cities in the world that has just – it's a dreadful transportation system. It's simply not working. I saw in my email today an, an invitation to um, to meet with the TTC to talk about their, you know, as a consumer, what? Do, how do you feel about their, their 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 services? I said, I just want the bloody things to turn up on time. Not, I don't want our single subway line to shut down over the weekend. Um, and uh, I, none of, neither the municipal or the provincial government seems to be able to do this with any degree of consistency. It's bizarre. Alex, transportation. I, actually, I, I was uh, a number of years ago, I was working with a bunch of transit workers who were advocating uh, against corporate control, corporate um, sort of style control of tr- Toronto Transit and for workers' control. For workers' democracy, because the the whole thing is a chaotic disaster. The board, yeah, there's resignations and firings. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. All of the streetcars are messed up. Uh, you cannot get home. None of you know, none of it is reliable. Put it put it in control of the workers. That's what I say. The people who actually run it know how to produce it. We don't need to get these uh, uh, private whiz kids being paid million plus dollars to then. Screw up the system. Uh, let's give the workers a try. Well, i got to say I don't agree with you there. We found something we don't agree on. It took us a while, Alex. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is the public accountability through elected government is the way that we represent. Oh, yeah, yeah, it should be accountable. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. What you're saying is you put it in the hands of the workers exclusively, and that means that's, that's not what I'm – That's Well, okay, we can play the tape back later on. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying right now is that the problem with uh, City of Toronto's transit system is it's been a political football between multiple governments, okay? We have these gargantuan battleships of, uh, uh, of uh, what used to be called trams in the UK, streetcars – streetcars that block up entire lanes and we don't even make the turns right. Why? Because one government decided to buy massively overpriced uh, technology from another province to help uh, balance the books. So our problem here is the flip-flopping. It. I got to tell you, I think even, and I'm, Alex may dispute this, but 
even if it was run by a capitalist, if it had been the same capitalist for the past 25 years, then we might actually have a working system, not necessarily run by the workers, but one that is consistent. It's the flip-flopping between the province, the municipality, and the federal government that is that is really uh, uh, affected us as Torontonians. The constant flip-flopping of systems, not that any one system is good or bad, but we haven't had a consistent one for 25 years. It's, it's sad, really. Uh, you're listening here to The Radical Reverend Show and our two guests today, uh, Alex Grant, Marxist journalist, and also uh, Nikki Ward, uh, new to the show, and welcome, Nikki, uh, who is uh, a community advocate and president of the largest co-op in Canada here. And this is the Left, Left, or Leftist panel. We come to you once a month. We're the first, uh, first Tuesday of the month, usually. This month it got shifted around a little bit. Um, but again, it's the kind of programming you're only going to get on a community radio station. You're not going to get this kind of programming, even on CBC, sadly, which is, and I don't know what's happening with CBC, and maybe we can throw this out there, but I mean, they tend to be moving to the right, and I keep thinking, you do know that Polyev gets in, he's going to privatize you. But um, anyway, here's uh, here's the CBC keeping on the lights on anyway and doing the the in depth journalism because we do need that, you know. Uh, much as we um, much as we are an alternative to mainstream media, we don't have the money to have foreign correspondents here at CIUT. We do need people with some means, and uh, we do have a public broadcaster who seems to be. Anyway, keep it public. Let's just say that. Um, and to you out there in listener land, we need you to call in uh, 416-946-7800 or one 888 and give us your coordinates, financially speaking. Um, but much, much easier, and this is what I'd recommend, is just go to the website, hit donate, the button. It's on the very first page. It'll walk you through everything. And do consider uh, supporting uh, this kind of talk radio that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, we follow Democracy Now!, which you just heard, which is the American equivalent of this. And I'm not the only show on here that talks about issues um, with a bit of a left hand involved. Um, you don't get that on mainstream media. You get it here. So do support this, please. Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked about, uh, and we've only got about 10 minutes left, folks, so please get your calls in before we have to leave. We're leaving at about 5 to, um, let's Let's move on a little bit, um, but before we leave Canada, there is uh, a leadership race going on in the Liberal Party. I've heard about that. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it, I mean, to this person uh, from the outside looking in, it looks like Bonnie Crombie's probably a lock. But something interesting happened, which I haven't seen before, so I'm just noting that, which you've got Na uh, Yasser Nakfi, who I actually worked with for years when he was the House leader in the Liberal government in Ontario, of course was across the floor in the opposition at that point as an NDPer. Um, uh, so there's him, and then there's uh, uh, Nate Erskine-Smith, who um, is decidedly on the left wing of the federal Liberal Party. He's actually voted against um, or abstained from some of the Liberal moves there, uh, which probably has put a kibosh on his political advancement. Um, but anyway, these two, who are alternatives to Bonnie Crombie, are now looking at kind of working together, Nikki. Well, um, I don't know. On this left, left, or leftist thing, I'm somewhere in the center here, uh, so uh, physically and, um, and figuratively. Um, I think it's important for us to have a powerful, moderate, centrist opposition in place. And we don't have that. The NDP are doing sterling work um, representing the left, but we need strong opposition that covers the full gamut of experiences at the provincial level. And we don't have that yet. The Liberal Party of Ontario got trounced uh, significantly and in a, uh, a, yes, a significant whitewash there. So I'm actually, in a general sense, uh, enthusiastic about the Liberal Party of Ontario getting their act together and bringing an important voice back to the table. Um, as you write, the, the pundits are saying that uh, Crombie is heavily favoured here. Um, but I think the the fact the work that Erskine um, uh, Brown is Erskine Brown yes Erskine Brown Erskine Smith Erskine Smith oh, okay Erskine yeah, Brown yeah. is in a different uh, set of a book I was reading um, Erskine Smith uh, is doing some sterling work around uh, housing and bringing that to the fore Crombie is more centrist and more of a nine oh five candidate and you're right it is uh, yes, having uh, Yasanakvi get involved in that process is unusual but I think actually again a positive movement. Uh, 
So we shall see what happens here. I think the election is late November, November ish, thirtieth ish, around then. And um, whatever the, whatever they decide upon, I think having another strong centre left um, uh, uh, voice at the table is long overdue. And pushing back against the things we all agree on, which is that the Ford government has uh, uh, can't have free reign in the December second. I just. Okay. Saturday, December 2nd is when the election is. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Alex? I'll keep it brief. Don't trust liberals. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter which one wins. Uh, I, it, well, obviously it does in details, but uh, don't trust the liberals. No, no, I mean, I mean, seriously, Alex, I mean, doesn't it, isn't it important that we have a gamut of representatives to push against the shared enemy, right? The enemy of our enemy is our friend, right? I entirely agree, push against the shared enemy, liberal, Tory, same old story. Mm. Uh, the working class needs to fight both the liberals and the conservatives, parties of capital. I'm a little less doctrinaire, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, no, I, I think in order to get in the, 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 the job done, we need to get all voices represented, not, not just uh, yours, which is an important one, but those that are more to the centre. This maybe speaks to our, our first-past-the-post system, too, uh, a little <laughs> bit, which is, uh, you know, if you had a truly more democratic system uh, where smaller parties could have uh, a chance at winning a seat or two, um, we might have more representation on that front. Um, uh, But I mean, I I guess this will take us into our last few moments, (laughs) Alex. um, The NDP, federally and provincially, though, um, from your perspective, what are they doing right what are they not well um I, I think the key issue that we haven't spoken about yet is gaza right and i was incredibly disappointed with the way the ontario ndp dealt with uh, the statements of solidarity with uh, palestine that sarah Jammer in the hamilton mpp made and i and i think we absolutely must say an end to the ethnic cleansing and what many people have called a genocide in Palestine, in Gaza. And, and the fact that the, the NDP has been equivocating on that is disappointing. And, and I think a lot of people have noticed, a lot of uh, left-wing activists who overwhelmingly, there's been massive demonstrations, massive sympathy uh, against the, what is it, it's 11,000 being killed, uh, over 4,000 children, bombing of hospitals, hospitals you know, declared uh, legitimate uh, uh, targets by the Israeli Defence Force. Then a lot, a lot of uh, people who uh, are very politically active have noticed the, uh, the equivocation by the NDP. Now, federally, the NDP has come out, the only party that's come out calling for a ceasefire unequivocally, um, and their members have been standing up for that. Is that Well, I think it's good that they did that eventually. Uh, that, that it, But today, I don't think a ceasefire is a, an especially radical position. Uh, that's the absolute minimum, the absolute minimum, and it took them a while to get there. That's not what uh, Jagmeet Singh uh, said in the early days. And... Yeah, and we've got, there's been this you know, huge barrage of any solidarity with the pa- Palestinians is deemed as anti-Semitic. Uh, that, and that was the language used to bring down Jeremy Corbyn in Britain. And we've got to be absolutely clear. Solidarity with the oppressed, and, and my sympathy always goes to the oppressed, that it is not anti-Semitic. In fact, uh, my granddad was a Holocaust survivor. He was in Matas and concentration camp. He was a Transylvanian Jew. And I utterly oppose the murderous actions of the uh, uh, Israeli government here. And, and, and this is no way to bring peace in the Middle East. There's no way to bring security to uh, uh, Israeli people or Jewish people internationally. Uh, we, we have to say, uh, end the bombing. Nikki. Well, to be frank, uh, I don't know how you can tackle an issue of this complexity in the remaining time on the show. I mean, it just, um, but I will say one thing, that if you're talking about how politicians should conduct themselves, in, uh, and I don't have an opinion about NDP politicians or uh, specifically, but um, uh, on the walk over here, we talked about some very serious issues here in Toronto. We have food insecurity, people who are malnourished because of 
local issues. We have people who are not housed. We haven't spoken about the poisoning of people through fentanyl use. We haven't talked about, we talked about the healthcare in Canada. We talked about pressing issues that have real life impact close to home that we have a direct responsibility to deal with. And while I respect anybody's opinion to have, anybody's uh, uh, right to express a personal opinion, our paid, our, our elected and paid politicians should first and foremost do the job that we want them to do in there, which is provide housing, provide food, uh, make sure that uh, we, have, we live in a, a safe and inclusive society. And there's more than enough work for them to do right now. If we were if, if here in Toronto, we were in a situation where we were, everything was fixed, by all means, go out and fix the rest of the world. In the meantime, there are people starving to death, dying on the streets and being under house. And I think it's reprehensible to, uh, to deflect from those important duties. Well, I want to thank uh, uh, Nikki Ward, uh, community advocate, and Alex Grant, uh, Marxist journalist, for being on the Left, Left, or Leftist panel. Um, I, we've only got a couple of minutes left before we're going to be uh, closing shop here on the Radical Reverend Show for this week. Do come back next week. Um, but I want to take those two minutes to, again, please, um, unless you step up and unless you donate to uh, the voices that you've heard, uh, to the station that you hear it on, uh, the only place you'll hear discussions of this sort, the only the only station you'll hear opinions of this sort, quite frankly, these days, um, uh, that's up to you. This is your station. You need to give. You need to support it if you want to keep it on the air. Um, the Radical Reverend here, your host, Jerry DeNovo, been on the air here for 25 years, never earned a dime doing this, and neither have all of our volunteers. Um, very small core staff keep the station going, their salaries, and just keeping us on the air, and it's so important. Buffalo to Barry, Kitchener to Coburg, we have this huge audience, and we have it because of you. So keep those dona donations coming, and uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Triple W dot c-i-u-t dot f-m hit donate
This show is brought to you by CIUT Studios and made possible thanks to our friends at Metal Supermarkets. Metal Supermarkets is here to provide the solutions you need. Visit them at metalsupermarkets.com.